Learning is a lifelong voyage, and with APA as your tour guide, you'll never get lost at sea. Set sail today with a passport subscription and travel through a world built for planners at planning.org passport22. Every two years, the APA publishes the State of Transportation Planning Report with the intention of highlighting innovative ideas, cutting-edge research, and interesting experiments in transportation planning in the United States. As part of the 2022 edition of the report, titled Intersections and Identities, A Radical Rethinking of Our Transportation Experiences, we're bringing you a series of interviews with pioneers and industry leaders across the U.S. who are offering their insights into some of the most challenging issues facing our field. Hello everyone, I'm Divya Gandhi. And I'm M. Hall. And we are the co-managing editors of the sixth edition of the State of Transportation Planning Report. And this is Critical Conversations in Transportation Planning. Please state your name, title, and organization. Hi, my name is Claire Stanley. I work for the National Disability Rights Network, and I'm one of the public policy analysts. Good afternoon. I'm Judy Shanley, and I'm with the National Office of Easter Seals in Chicago. And I'm also the project director of several federal projects, technical assistance centers funded by the U.S. Department of Transportation. Claire, tell us about your background, your journey, how you came to be a public policy analyst at the National Disability Rights Network. My background is in law. I graduated from law school in the spring of 2015 and kind of had a a path of different jobs, always in the disability advocacy space. I'm a person with a disability myself. So as early as high school, I was kind of plugged into the disability advocacy world, was part of a lot of different groups and things like that. My first job out of law school was with Disability Rights DC, which is the protection and advocacy office for the District of Columbia. And then just kind of a couple different things that passed on from that that eventually got me here at the National Disability Rights Network. I always knew I was interested in advocacy and policy work. Like I said, it was something I did as early as high school, but it was just kind of the perfect fit for me, bringing together my legal background and my advocacy background and my love for politics and Congress and things like that. Great. Thanks, Claire. Now, Judy, tell us a little bit about your background and your journey and how you came to what are multiple roles that you carry out currently. My academic training is in human services. I was a vocational rehab counselor for a number of years. I worked with school districts on youth transition. So I was always interested in careers and occupations that helped individuals with disabilities be successful once they left a school system. I worked at the U.S. Department of Education for about eight years and had the opportunity during that work experience to be part of a federal interagency committee called United We Ride. And what that committee did or was all about was recognizing that every federal agency, 11 of them, have a need to focus on transportation. So I, working at the Department of Education, couldn't help individuals be successful in the workplace if they could get to the workplace. Of those individuals, those my colleagues that worked at Health and Human Services, if individuals couldn't access health care because of transportation challenge that uh, resulted in poor outcomes, poor health outcomes. So it was that experience that 
got me thinking, wow, transportation does underpin everything we do in our society. And so I left the Department of Education, had an opportunity to work at Easter Seals about 12 years ago and have recognized that it's not about just transportation getting from point A to point B. And my experiences with working with the Federal Highway Administration and other Department of Transportation projects really affirms that transportation is more than the ride. So I've had a a long and windy path, but I'm excited to be where I'm at. Transportation is more than the ride. I like that. Maybe that's a theme for the 2024 report. So, Claire and Judy, as you've heard, the theme for the 2022 State of Transportation Planning Report is Intersections and Identities, a Radical Rethinking of Our Transportation Experiences. I'll start with Judy this time. What is a current transportation issue that you find is most in need of this radical rethinking? Sure. I think one of the most needed changes in our, is in what we know as paratransit services. So the ADA-related services that people with disabilities are entitled to under the Americans with Disabilities Act. We think, and transit agencies often think of paratransit as a restrictive, non-inclusive kind of service. In many transit agencies around the country, the service is separated from traditional fixed route kinds of services. We could be at a point where we're building a continuum of service. There are people that are always going to need a paratransit service. But if we were thinking about universal design and inclusive service in a continuum as part of a fixed route service, I think that will help us think about paratransit service differently. And Claire, what would you consider what is most in need of a radical rethinking? I also wanted to talk about paratransit. I'm blind and those of us in the blind community have a lot to say about paratransit. It's something that, especially depending on where you live, if you don't live in a big city, you're more dependent on things like paratransit because you have lesser options with public transit and things like that. And for us, a lot of us get really frustrated with the idea that you have to uh, set up an appointment the day before or multiple days in advance, depending on what your your county policy is. I mean, that's really frustrating. You know, those of us who are adults who live busy lives, we can't schedule in advance just to go to the pharmacy or go to the bank or want to pick up a Starbucks, you know, things like that. It's it's really, it, it hinders your, your ability to go out and live a life. So things like on-demand um, rides is something that some counties throughout the United States have kind of played with, these alternative options for things with paratransit. So I think that's one of the biggest you hear, things you hear, especially from the blind community. But I think other communities is we need to, to change paratransit up and make it more of an on-demand service, make it more flexible so that we're not stuck in this place where suddenly I have to divide out three hours of my day just to do one minor task. And suddenly my days are really, uh, really limited in what I can get accomplished. I've heard the Federal Transit Administration, some professionals say that People, all people, regardless of disability, want spontaneous choice, Mm -hmm. right? You want to be able to go from point A to point B 
when you want to go, when you need to go, and the scheduling of the paratransit service 48 hours in advance is just not realistic for individuals with disabilities. So why would we have restrictive, specialized kind of transportation service if if our culture and our world and, and legislation and policy is all facilitating inclusive service? Why would we still rely on an antiquated kind of service that takes people away from from each other. Exactly. So I'm going to start with Claire on this next question, because you come to this work as, as an advocate, as an analyst, as a, a lawyer. And I want to hear about where you find the biggest gap between how planners view the world, especially transportation planners, and then how non-planners perceive mobility and accessibility in their everyday lives. What's your experience there? So one new form of construction that we're starting to see more and more in different communities, I obviously can't talk about the whole country, but for instance, the county that I live in, which is Montgomery County, it's just northwest of Washington, D.C. They call them floating bus stops as a new plan or setup, or I'm sure there's a fancy term for it, where they have, as it implies, a floating bus stop. So instead of just going to what We used to always love when I say we, I'm talking of the blind community with your traditional four-way intersection. Now they have different little islands that you cross over. And a lot of times what's in between them is a bike lane. So instead of just crossing the street and boom, I'm on the other corner. No, you might have to cross a bike lane, um, cross over to some kind of floating island. So it's just not easy anymore. And that makes it really hard for people with all kinds of disabilities, um, depending on the orientation and mobility training we get, which is kind of the the uh, token word we would use. Um, it makes it really hard to navigate and interact with our communities. And so when planners are trying to create really new fancy things that I'm sure are all about interacting with pedestrians and cyclists, I think they have really good intentions, but it's making it so much more complicated for people with disabilities. Again, speaking for the blind community, the orientation and mobility training that I went through when I was younger, it's now not enough because there are these new designs that are different. And so we're really starting to scratch our head and go, okay, what new O&M training do we need? Is that even going to be effective enough? Because some of these new designs are just so outside of the box. So I think the city planners had these great intents behind these new plans, but they often forget people with disabilities were kind of an afterthought. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, One of the things that I think is are maybe different between transportation planners and people that have to utilize the service, uh, particularly individuals with disabilities, is planners think about efficiency. They think mm-hmm. about they think about getting from point A to point B. And what you've designed, what you've talked about in terms of the floating bus stops is similar to flag stops. Money agencies put flag stops in where the person on the side of the road has to motion to a bus or a fixed route service Mm -hmm. to stop or a train. For the transit planner, sure, it's efficient to keep that vehicle running, but for an individual with disability, how, how do you access that ride when you know you 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 can't see the, the vehicle coming? And so I think that planners think about efficiency, whereas riders may think about the quality of service and the implications on that service and their 
impacts on the availability to access opportunity, like a doctor's appointment, like an employment, like school. Transportation planners are uh, very analytic and quantitative. I, I agree with you what you said about the, the new mobility and new innovation and design, but without thinking about the implications for various riders, I think that's the difference. I think that's so interesting, too, because I always wonder, not just in city planning, but all kinds of different areas of design. I feel like people who are going to school, whether you're an architect or an urban developer or anything, I often wonder and think and hear from people in these programs that they're not getting classes and education on how to make things ADA compliant or accessible or user friendly. And that boggles my mind. I'm like, we're in 2022 and this isn't part of the curriculum because it would make such a big impact on making things accessible. Exactly. I just finished a study underneath my FTA funded project, the National Center for Mobility Management, where I queried university personal preparation programs for planners to ask them, what are they teaching mm-hmm. um, in their curriculum about the ADA accessibility, mobility management? And um, very few indicated that there was any coursework that future professionals had in their programs. And mm-hmm. You know, that's it's it hurts the industry. Ultimately, Um, one other thing came to mind is there seems to be a a fragmentation in some state departments of transportation where the people doing planning for the roadways and the sidewalks are different from the people that are doing transit service planning. And we just did another study on a federal highway project that I'm on in. I asked many of those people, how often are you interacting with your transit side, your colleagues, and few are. And I think there needs to be more coordination across those disciplines within a DOT. One other thing, just kind of going based off of something you said that sparked my thoughts, Judy, was these are built often without things like the ADA kept in mind or other forms of accessibility. And then putting my lawyer hat on, a lawsuit comes at some point. And then you have to retroactively fix it. Hopefully they listen and they do what they're supposed to do. And then when you retroactively fix something, it's so much more difficult. And in some situations, close to impossible, depending on the architecture, et cetera. But anyway, it's so much more difficult. And so it's one of those things where if we can plug it in right away, it's going to give us all a lot easier of a time doing what we're supposed to do. Everybody is going to be happy. We're going to spend less money. It's just going to work better. Retrofitting things just never work as well. Yeah, exactly. In education, we have something called universal design for learning. And what that means is when you use classroom materials or curriculum, you're building in flexibility in the beginning. So you're building in varying ways to present the content. So various learners can access the content in different ways. You're building in various ways that a learner can demonstrate to you that they know the content. And we need to think about those same principles, universal design in transportation and mobility sectors. We could educate transportation planners while they're still in school and then educate those that are in the profession already about universal mobility, that that would create a lot of opportunity for a lot of people. Both of you really have already answered a couple more of the questions we have. I, I love where this conversation is going. I was wondering if each of you could share a positive experience or an instance where folks with disabilities were taken into account or there was universal design. I think 
for, especially for folks who are students or those who are starting out, the challenges are myriad. And it's often, we don't even know where those examples are of, of something that's worked. It could be at the hyper-local level or something that took a policy or legal route. So I was wondering if either or both of you had an instance where you're like, yes, it, this this worked. This is, this is the way it can be done to kind of share that and give folks some inspiration to think creatively as we move forward. This is Judy. I was recently at a statewide conference in Arizona, and there was a speaker from a transit agency from Utah, and they had experienced it was a tourist um, destination um, in in the wintertime. And so their population escalated at certain times seasonally, and they were having to increase the amount of fixed route service. And so instead of doing traditional vehicles, big buses, um, traditional kinds of service, they were thinking about on-demand service that Claire mentioned before and connected service. So they may have had a bus, a big bus, and then there was an on-demand service that was integrated with that uh, bigger service. And I asked the question about accessibility and she said, we have accessible vehicles all, you know, every size vehicle, even our taxis are accessible. And so it was, she was thinking about universal design, universal mobility as she was building and expanding this system so that she didn't have to worry about in the future, trying to find the right size vehicles. And then that created opportunities for riders, obviously, because they could feel confident that every vehicle that they were using in this city was accessible. I was really excited to hear that. This is Claire. Uh, one form of transportation that I've been very excited about over the last couple of years were the new train cars that they designed for the metro system, uh, which is the basically the subway or train system in the greater Washington, D.C. area. And unfortunately, they're actually out of order right now for some safety reasons, go figure. But the design of these cars is so accessible. In the older cars, the announcements are made orally by the, the conductor of the train, which in theory is great, but because of the, just the older technology, it's all, often muffled. And, you know, they kind of say, oh, you're at blah, 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 blah station. You can't hear them. It's really frustrating. Um, whereas the new ones have automated computerized voices played at a really good volume. So I never miss which station is mine. The doors don't open immediately. They give you time, presumably for people to get up safely who might have a physical or mobility disability so they can get out safely and the doors stay open for a allotted amount of time for the same reasons. They have designated wheelchair spots to give you more access for people who are wheelchair users, all kinds of things. So I, I was really impressed and excited to see the new designs of the latest cars on the Metro system. And like I said, I was very disappointed when they had to be taken out of order for a while. So hopefully they're back up and running soon. And this is Judy. I get excited when I see people with disabilities at the table in planning and designing service in communities. And there's a lot of cities around this country that have done a fine job of that. There's others that um, they know that there's requirements to have individuals with disabilities at the table in terms of public participation. But um, the the opportunities that they offer are often limited and perfunctory in nature. And so my biggest excitement is when I see cities that actually have people on staff 
there are employees of the agency that are part of the planning. They're um, all along the process. They're um, not only planning and designing, but carrying out. They're part of evaluation systems that transit transit agencies have so that they're offering feedback and communicating about the service at every step of the way. I think that's such a good point. Um, when you first asked the question, Emma, I kind of uh, laughed inside and I didn't use this as an example, but the first example I was thinking was the abundance of accessible pedestrian signals or APSs in the county I live in. And I didn't give an example because Technically, it wasn't initially done proactively. It was actually the results of a lawsuit in my county. So they didn't do the right thing initially, but then they did a phenomenal job. So hats off to the county I live in. But I, I want to use it as an example um, because kind of like Judy was saying, when the disability community was brought in and stepped up to the plate and said, hey, this is really important for the blind community, the county did really respond in kind. Not immediately. It took a little pushing. But when they did, it's phenomenal. Now we have APSs on almost every intersection where I live. So when I get off of the bus close to my condominium complex, there are APSs. I can cross safely all up and down my town. I feel confident when I walk around and cross streets and things like that. You know, where is planning, transportation planning for riders with disabilities and, and all riders really? Where do you think it's headed? Where do you hope it's headed? What what do we want to look forward to in the next? five, 10, 20 years? Sure. That's such a big question. I think it's important for us as we think forward into the next five, 10, et cetera, et cetera years to think about where technology is going. You know, we constantly hear all the new things about um, electric vehicles, EVs, um, that President Biden has done a lot to promote in, in a lot of pieces of legislation. We're talking about autonomous vehicles. So that's really exciting. So when I think forward to the future, I think it's really important that we think about how we can make these products accessible through what Judy was talking with universal design. So to make sure that people with disabilities aren't left out of really awesome and potentially really positive opportunities for people with disabilities that could open the door for things that we wouldn't have thought before. So that's kind of the first thing that comes to mind. Another thing moving forward in the next five years or so, I think we need to consider and think about what uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has done to transportation. Most of us know that a lot of the um, public transportation systems were kind of sized back because people just weren't taking transportation because people weren't going places because of COVID. And that was a big fear for people with disabilities where we were saying, well, great, my county or city didn't have a lot of lines to begin with, and now they're being cut back even more. Um, so making sure that that's not a lasting impact, that hopefully things will be sized back up or heaven forbid for me, even increased even more. Um, so just keeping an, an eye on what COVID did and how we can go back to where we were before or get even better. So just making sure that like a lot of things, COVID doesn't have a lasting impact. So I think those are kind of the two immediate things I think about where technology is going and how that'll be implemented and then how the pandemic with the long-term impacts of the pandemic are. Claire, this is Judy. I totally agree with you. The first word that came to my mind when I think about the future of transportation planning is evolving. I think the new technologies, I think the, the, the automation, electrification has really created opportunities. My hope is that as those modes are considered, that they're, they're 
built accessible and inclusive from the get-go. But my concern is that as the pandemic has adversely affected transit and transit ridership and the perceptions of riders that in their zeal to get people back to using public transportation, that there's not a disregard for accessibility and inclusive service, that um, there's still the thinking that everybody should be able to access transportation when they need, whenever they need, and we all have spontaneous choice. So I, I'm excited about the future of where we're going. I, I'm amazed. I'm always amazed when I go to big transportation conferences like the American Public Transportation Association Conference, and I see all the innovation and technology. I get really excited and passionate about the service, but I have a, also the regard that please don't go so fast that we forget about all riders. Judy's used the term universal design a lot, and that just needs to be stressed as we develop new technology, because like Judy said, we can get so excited. We take too many steps forward and we don't build accessibility into it. Retrofitting things is just so clunky and it doesn't work. So if we're going to create a brand new bus that's fully autonomous, make sure that it has a wheelchair ramp, make sure that it has, you know, automated uh, announcements for the blind. But I think we just get so excited that we jump to and we create something that, you know, the, the average person, quote unquote, thinks about, but they leave out the accessibility features. And then, you know, a year down the line, they're scratching their head going, oh, shoot, now we have to put the accessibility features in it because of the ADA and other laws. And I was like, well, why didn't you do that from the beginning? So we need to think about those kinds of things. This is Judy. One more thing I was thinking about, I mentioned early in my career, one of the best things that uh, I've seen in the industry is when planner, transportation planners are talking with human service professionals and human service professionals are hearing from transportation planners. And so there's an integrated acknowledgement that transportation affects us all. And I had the privilege of attending a class at the University of Illinois, Chicago, where it was transportation planners. And I talked about human services and I talked about the ADA and mobility management and and this notion of coordination across sectors. And that was amazing. Also, at the same time, I had an opportunity to speak with human service professionals, so special education professionals who were future teachers, future disability providers about transportation and providing them with resources on how they could connect with transportation planners in their communities so that students did have those supports. So I think just getting out of our silos, that's would be really important as we look at transportation planning in the future. I think that's why this is, um, uh, I think that's why your two perspectives are so welcome here too. And we have other non-planners contributing to planning as you both very eloquently stated, these are issues that affect all of us that can improve all of our lives. And it's really great to keep that um, collaborative approach and, and think about all the other sectors and people who are affected by these planning, these transportation planning choices that are made. If our audience wants to get in touch with you, learn more about the work that you're doing, where should they go? What should they check out? What are some resources folks should know on this topic? 
For sure. If the listeners want to learn more about the transportation work that's going on, I'd point you guys in a few different places. First, feel free to to check out with the National Disability Rights Network, my employer, what we're doing. We're constantly doing transportation work. So you can go to ndrn.org. And if you want to find out what you're doing in your own state, those are our protection advocacy offices, which are the state-based affiliates. Um, You can find all of those links on ndrn.org. So go there and click on your state and you can find out what they're doing in your own backyard. I am also the co-chair of the Transportation Task Force for the Consortium of Citizens with Disabilities. You can also see what our task force is doing. We're constantly writing to Congress, to Department of Transportation, things like that. So just go to W www.c-c-d.org. And you can also see what we're doing. And then lastly, I am also one of the co-chairs for the Transportation Committee with the American Council of the Blind. And we're always doing advocacy for transportation. So go to acb.org and find out what we're doing in the transportation space. And this is Judy Shanley from the national level. Easterseals.com has a lot of resources related to the projects that we focus on that particularly emphasize accessible transportation. I mentioned I'm also the project director of a federal transit administration project called the National Center for Mobility Management. You could access free technical assistance, free materials at nc4mm.org. The other thing locally, I would suggest to readers to find out who is responsible for the Human Service Transportation Coordinated Plan. That's a way for people at the local level to be involved in decision-making about the transportation service in their committee. Usually a planning organization, regional council is responsible for that plan, but find out how you could be involved in the human service transportation planning. Wonderful. This is M. We have come to the close of our conversation and Divi and I are just both thrilled that you were able to join us today and bring these perspectives and this information to our audience. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Critical Conversations in Transportation Planning. To learn more and read the entire report, please visit the APA's Transportation Planning Division website at transportation.planning.org.